David Snade is in studio to survey the day gone by at the Qatar World Cup as Ronaldo gets off the mark. A shrill blast of the whistle, here we go. Cristiano Ronaldo, 1-0 Portugal. And just for now, headlines of a different sort from Cristiano Ronaldo. One of the greatest to ever play the game. He's been raging defiantly against father time, but still capable of bringing a nation to its feet. We'll also get the Thanksgiving view from Jeff Shepard as USA take on England tomorrow. In rugby, former Connacht and Munster player Ian Keatley previews the interpros between both provinces this weekend. And in athletics, Ian Reardon updates us as World Athletics focus in on doping trends in Kenya. Plus, we have another €400 Euro to give away ahead of the PWC Money All-Stars. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or 3 at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Along. We are going to start the programme off with our competition because it is such a good one. How would you like to be in with the chance to win €400? Euro? What about €3,000? Well, listen to this. The PwC Camogie All-Stars take place this Saturday at Crow Park where the Players of the Year in all three grades will be announced. Celebrating excellence in Camogie, the awards are all about recognising the country's top players. So we want to know who would make your Camogie team of the year. Head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and just for voting, we'll enter you into the draw where you could win yourself that amazing €3,000, all thanks to PwC. We'll announce the winner before the end of tomorrow's show. And to be in with the chance of winning that €400 today, thanks to PwC, simply text us now on 51552 and tell us who your Camogie standout player of the year is and why. Include your full name, county and email address in your text. And as always, competition terms and conditions apply. C2FM.ie. David Snade is with me here in studio. David, we're going to get into all of the football. The Portugal-Ghana game has just finished with Portugal winning 3-2 dramatic conclusion but we'll talk about that in just a minute Uh, I just want to talk to you first about Evan Ferguson because you were at uh, the press conference with him today you've seen him now up close and personal Um, we're looking at a World Cup here thinking when are we going to get to a major tournament and I'd imagine just given that we've started to see him play if we keep seeing him play everybody's just going to be saying whenever Evan Ferguson starts scoring goals for Ireland then we'll be there I know, I know. Well, you were even even saying beforehand, your young lad was saying he's the future, like, even when 10-year-olds are kind of saying <laughs> He asked that. me that today when he was looking at the couch with uh, Kevin Doyle and Richie Sadler on it and they were talking about Shane Long. <laughs> I know, well, that's even my nephew now. My nephew kind of judges players now off by match attacks. So we'll see them by playing, but it's now match attacks. That's how he can judge the calibre of a player. But I think Evan Ferguson's one of those players, like, he's only just gone 18 and yet he's been in and around the, the, kind of the first team with Brighton. He's played in the Premier League. Looks as if he may go on loan, possibly in January. There seems to be some kind of rumours of championship club sniffing about he's just signed a new contract at Brighton as well long term deal to take him up to 2026 and like the world's his oyster here at the moment in terms of how far he can go he seems to be very highly regarded He's got his he got his debut obviously last week against Norway coming off the bench obviously when Ireland were two one down the senior debut then came on nearly scored against Malta had that that chance near the end that was that was blocked and he would have become the youngest scorer since Robbie Kane for this the men's senior team but yeah he's just one of those players there's a lot of promise they get when we were out there chatting with him today and I, I 
did a piece for the Forty Two on it earlier on, went up and his kind of his kind of ambition now was to try and force his way into the qualifiers for the Euros in mm. terms of March. Obviously Mbappe and the lads from France coming in, <laughs> rocking into town so more kids looking forward to maybe seeing Mbappe and all them than um, some of the Ireland players. But uh that's that's where he's looking at now. That's his kind of short term um, Do you know, just on that, like I think as well, like kids, they like seeing the Irish players playing against them too. Like there's, oh, yeah. there's they they do enjoy that. They get a kick out of it. Okay, Mbappe's coming to town, town, but like our lads are playing against Mbappe, yeah, which yeah. elevates them too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And listen, it's only anecdotally, and I suppose like, and I'm sure there's people listening. They probably hear the same. Well, even like my nephew now, who's getting into football, he's mad for football, and listening to him saying putting on his the goalkeeper jersey and like wanting to be Gavin Bazoon and mm-hmm. watching. And obviously, he was disappointed at Haaland, but that's what he's saying. He wants to see Haaland play against them. And like I remember, like this is it's probably self indulgent to say it, but saying to him. I was going over to watch Man City Southampton for work and he's saying that's your job to watch and whatever I was like yeah trying to explain what I was doing I was like what's Haaland like is he really as big in real life and I was like yeah no he is he's actually much bigger like you know it's great but that kind of brings out then that other little bit of excitement mm-hmm. and you kind of get that hopefully of someone like Kevin Ferguson and it's funny because even Chidozzi like Benny said it and even just speaking to a few people around the Ireland camp it was like very telling that and Fairness Ferguson spoke about it today like he had no fear in that camp not that you would expect it mm-hmm. for a young lad who's been in and around the Premier League team coming into that Ireland setup, but like putting himself about in training and throwing himself into tackles being aggressive and that was one of the things that stood out and it's probably one of the reasons why he got his debut in terms of like Stephen Kenny made the point that, that obviously these friendlies with the World Cup going on it's probably the last thing in a lot of people's minds like Hirsch fans will probably say he was wanting to get this year out of the way and move on for, for next season and see what can happen but like this is very that was very much part of the preparation for Stephen Kenny in terms of building towards for a march in terms of well who knew could possibly come in because there's been a huge flux of players and then transition of players and as Kenny has said himself that part is over with it's they're now pretty much settled but then there was the likes of him and the likes of Will Smallbone and obviously Will Smallbone didn't get minutes and obviously you see Evan Ferguson get minutes maybe there's a bit more there's a bit more emphasis maybe on what he was doing that got himself. In mm-hmm. the, and obviously there was the injuries as well Scott Hogan pulled out and Will Keane pulled out as well so that kind of maybe threw him up the pecking order a little bit but there is there's no doubt about it like, there's a great sense of excitement about what you can do and but he's still only 18 like he's like he's a joint of a fella is he? he has a bit of a presence about him is he almost as big as Haaland? No, no, <laughs> but like because he still has to fill out properly. It's yeah. weird he has this like he still I think that's still more grown in him, which is the which is the good thing. Mm. But um, it was just it was just funny as well because it was that it was like a one of the, it was one of the FAI's games, the futsal, the football for all, out in the school in Glass Nevin, and like there was like this whole gas kind of scene of basically sitting at like a, one of those old primary school tables so there was like a lot of us growing up like journalists sitting around with him and we were kind of like scrunched up with, um, which probably made him see it feel a bit bigger but even like what you're saying there like those kids in the primary school like watching the World Cup match that was the early game the Cameroon and Switzerland, Switzerland game yeah. they're in like almost Michinovsky they might as well not have been in school watching the game imagine what it'd be like when Ireland are back in the World Cup please God someday soon and um but yeah, like they were dying to meet him as well, you know, and that's something now that he's going to have to contend with a little bit, you know, in terms of... What's his awareness like of the pressure that we are all starting to put on him? Do you know what? Like, it's one of them where... 
I'd say he had speaking to him. Not that he was nervous. He obviously like he just seems like a kid who knows what he's saying. He mm. has his head screwed on. He's got a bit of cop on about him, which kind of I don't think you're going to be. You might have all the talent in the world, but if you haven't got that other element to it, you're not going to get that second or third contract at a club like Brighton, and you're not going to be brought in, especially by a manager like Graham Potter, who's obviously moved on yeah. and be around that force team. If you haven't got that, maybe football intelligence but also emotional intelligence of how to deal with it and it does seem as if he's going to be able to, to do it. and that's that's the hope because like, there's so many pitfalls for young players in terms of well, like everything that can come with come at him and he, but he does he kind of seems to he seems to understand where he is in his development and his progress and stuff and hopefully he can just keep on kicking on and scoring goals and he's a player that Ireland will be relying on for the next few years please God Yeah and as you said hopefully we will be back in a major tournament very very soon and he'll be there um, leading the way for us so we did get to see a few games today Portugal and Ghana has just finished and I guess against the odds really because Ghana are the lowest team coming into yeah. it they managed to score two goals and they came close enough to beating Portugal I know I had to take a little breather here coming in because it was just the breathless the last nine minutes the, the goalkeeper there for um, for Portugal at the end Costa he, he was coming off almost distraught because literally last kick of the game almost he's doing that kind of thing where he's throwing the ball out to, to hit a long <laughs> and he, I didn't, they didn't show a replay of the of the Ghana player who it was he's hiding in behind them he nicks in to almost get it you think he's going to tap it in the last kick of the game for three all and he slips just before he's going to do it and it was just a mad end because Portugal seemed to have it wrapped up obviously Ronaldo got his goal mm. did a celebration and then obviously it was 3-1 he came off with a couple of others and then they got it back to 3-2 but Bruno Fernandes got a couple of assists yeah. in that as well but I think they just seemed a bit ragged Portugal even like the way how the game ended like when you get that into that sense of where they were in control if you're going deeper in the competition if you're, if you're not going to be able to see out a game like that you're going to struggle and like he got his goal, Ronaldo, but there was a couple of moments in the first half as well where he kind of he could have done a bit better. But uh, like, well, I think he made history. He's the first player now in ever to score in five, five. World, five World Cups. Which is, that's just incredible. Like, yeah. It really is. Five World Cups. Like. Yeah, we talk about legacy and what's his going to be. Like, I think it's going to be things mm. like that. You might find a club. He can use the World Cup now <laughs> as, a, as a way of... Um, yeah, what's the stat that's going around himself and Gary Breen, two players to oh, be at World to be Cups un- with unattached, no, no clubs? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Gary Breen, rumoured to have torn down into Milan and end up at Coventry City, wasn't it? I think oh, that was it. Uh, so there was a few other games today uh, Switzerland beat Cameroon 1-0 and Uruguay and South Korea was the 1 o'clock game nil all wasn't the most exciting game South Korea only one goal or one shot actually no shots on target and Uruguay just one shot on target so um, they're not all they're not all uh, they're not all belters for the purists people yeah. would say you know, these are the games you suffer through a little bit because for the game with that Portugal Ghana when it is amazing but yeah no I think even with like South Korea you hear Mourinho coming out today as well where he was talking about we was asked yeah. about the comment like obviously Japan beating Germany yeah. yesterday and like, I don't think anybody would have saw that coming after 55 minutes mm-hmm. because Germany, oh, Japan just seemed so placid in the game they just seemed to be just even when they went behind almost as if they were happy with, with 1-0 almost and then they just thing switched and they just put on a show for the last 40 minutes it was fantastic yeah. to watch but then you hear Mourinho talking about because obviously he w- would have worked with young son uh, mm-hmm. uh, at Spurs that there's no ego there it's all about it's all about the team it's yeah. all about that kind of togetherness and like it showed yesterday even with, with, with Japan but I don't know, like kind of with that game with, with South Korea, like you wonder because the injury he was wearing that mask because obviously was it the champions was it one of the champions yeah. games before the World Cup he kind of fractured an ice. Yeah, so you kind of wonder will that be on his mind because he had one shot. It was like he was actually watching a while again after speaking to Evan Ferguson earlier on today and he had that one shot in the first half and then it was that split on the second half split moment and it was probably the closest he came it was a couple of yards wide but that's what 
that's what you're relying on for the team mm-hmm. like that. Even though we talk about that togetherness and it's all about the team, they're still going to need him to deliver that moment because they're going to be pretty much scratching around to get that moment in the game. Japan pretty much got two of them and punished Germany. And like unless they do that, it's going to be a struggle for teams. And like even watching when we were watching that the Portugal Ghana Ghana game, the chances Ghana got, they took them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's they were they were clinical. Portugal pretty much the same. Ronaldo did pretty well to to win that penalty, but. I don't know. I've been watching it. It's the start of it. I think like everyone. I think everyone's conflicted, especially with all the stuff that's been happening again with the with the rainbow, with the one love armband. There is that sense of confliction, but then also to be honest, it's that part when the game starts. You just get immersed. You just get immersed in them. I've like watched every really single did. game now. I'm pretty much the same. Like the times <laughs> of them, the timings of them as well. Like ten the in the morning. The timings are brilliant because the kids are going to school. I know, yeah. The ten so o'clock the, games. I wish oh. they, they should have for, for for parents. The ten o'clock games should be the main one because I drop the <laughs> yeah. I drop the young lad to preschool. I'm straight back in. I get to watch that before I have to go back and collect them. It's all But on the toast, make the coffee. I know. Oh, yeah. it's great. Oh, that's it. Literally, I think that's pretty much what my, my work up used to be. Well, used to be a bit different when I was a, a bit younger. Now it's literally toast and coffee and making the most of it. But um. Yeah, no, just the timings of them, they're mm-hmm. great, isn't it? 10, 1, 4 and 7. But yeah, you, there is, like, you have to accept it. But then that's why like the journalists who are out there and who are covering it and are on the ground and they're seeing maybe some of the other stuff and they're hearing what's going on, they're the ones who obviously have the job full on doing the reporting on it and explaining what's actually happening out there. And then for a lot of other people, it is, sometimes you have to admit, like you just have to try and... Can you try and enjoy the football? Yeah. So I'll be honest, like, the bail, the stuff with Wales and England... And obviously you saw the Germany protest in terms of covering their mouth because they feel as if they're being silenced by not being able to have that protest. And there does there does seem to be that sense that maybe stuff is stored them because even I was saying about journalists like Gavin Cooney, who obviously my colleague with the forty two, he's out there and he was making the point with us, um, just saying that like, you know, it does seem as if there's something different happening in this World Cup and that FIFA aren't really the ones who are in control mm-hmm. here. Do you know that obviously just pressure coming on them. And like, like so I, so I, wrote, I wrote a piece during the week. I was very critical of the likes of Bale for saying, "Well, he's made this point before the tournament was starting, all the way leading up that this armband and the one love armband was going to be something that was important that you wanted to flag." And and yet, when you were threatened with what we were saying, sanctions, football sanctions, people were saying it was a yellow card. There could be some suggestion that could have been a bit stronger than that. That they kind of backed down. And you're kind of thinking, well. Like what you, you can't just wait for a FIFA-approved protest mm-hmm. to make it. The whole point of a protest is that you are taking a risk and that you are actually putting your 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 head above the parapet and your neck on the line a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt as if maybe f- football associations and, and players were willing to do that to a point where they said, right, this is what the protest is because I wasn't upsetting FIFA. But, but then is it FIFA who are the ones who are upset? Clearly it's not if pressure is coming on them from, from Qatar who are obviously who are obviously staging. So it is one of them where we see this great game tonight, like Portugal and Ghana, and it's like controlling and you're, you're, you're loving it and it's pretty much everything what you want from a World Cup and what you love watching football. But then there is that other element that you just can't switch off from. No, you can't. And and rightly so, because it's so important to, to stay tuned into what's going on around the world and to hear and see the effects of of the different cultures and the way people are, are treated and um but even that's it but even like watching there was a great there was a, a news report on from Wales fans before they went over and this is their, their first World Cup in 64 years and there was one of the groups from the LGBTQ group LGBTQ fan groups from Wales who weren't going like mm-hmm. they go home and away with Wales everywhere have this great moment in their history for the country to go to a World Cup and yet like this group of supporters who travel everywhere aren't gone because of their sexuality. Do you know what I mean? And that again, like that just stuck in my head. I'm thinking like 
these are football fans, these are people who don't, and they can't go and support their team. Yeah. You know, and that stuff like that, I would have thought that for the Welsh FA and the English FA, who seem to have been very good at flagging stuff and actually talking about it. And yeah, when it came to the crunch, they kind of wilted a little mm. bit, and I thought it was disappointing. Yeah, very much so. Um, right, well, Jeff Shepard is on the line because there is a, a big game for the USA against England tomorrow, and the USA are already off the mark, albeit it didn't go the way that they were hoping. Uh, Jeff Shepard, how are you? I'm doing great, Marie. How are y'all? Well, is there a football World Cup fever in the USA or is it uh, just over here where we are? No, no. I mean, um, look, you know, the obviously the time difference is a big thing, but the match with, um, you know, Wales the other night happened in the middle of the day. The match tomorrow against England is also going to be going on in the middle of the day, Black Friday. Every, You know, most people are home, um, you know, because we've got Thanksgiving today and kind of Christmas really kind of kicks off, you know, tomorrow so uh yeah i mean a lot of folks you know people have been watching talking i mean they're excited a golden opportunity was missed to get three points Mm -hmm. on monday obviously you know you want the you know you take the one and and you'll go on but you know there was an opportunity for for the u.s to to get three points they played well in spurts um you know i think there was an initial disappointment in not getting the three but uh all in all not a bad showing i mean there's only one player on the roster who's ever been in a World Cup before. So it's an incredibly young team. And I think a lot of that kind of showed in the match against Wales. We saw a lovely um, picture of uh, of the goal scorer. Tim, is it Tim, Timothy? Tim, Tim Weah? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Timothy to his mom, Tim, Tim to his Tim, dad. Tim, Timothy Weah. And his dad, George, <laughs> is obviously the famous footballer. But I did see him uh, tweeting a picture of uh, himself. And we'll call him Tim. We'll go with Tim. I have a Tim, you see. and uh, Sorry, I have a Timmy and my dad is Tim. So it does make me think when I see Tim. And I have a brother, Timothy. So there's a lot of Tims in my life uh, when I see Timothy here. Uh, but obviously a, a football legend. And it must be pretty amazing for him and for um, the people of the USA for you know a, a young guy with with the famous dad to go to a world cup and to score a famous goal yeah and he gets you know and it comes off of an assist for christian Pulisic, you know who is you know arguably you know already one of the best players america's ever produced and he's just really really young you know playing in in germany at bruce at dortmund um look marie you know I, I mean i'm already seeing you know the questions that these guys are getting ahead of the england match is like can we change the perception of American soccer around the world? And it's like, I mean, these dudes are like 20, you know? I mean, it's like a pretty tall order that they're having, you know, that they're going to be faced with. I mean, you know, no no one knows what the future is going to hold, but, I mean, there is a lot of pressure, you know, on these guys' shoulders to, to not just, you know, I mean, winning would be great, but it's, you know, not get blown out at the end of the day, I think, is, is really what they're trying to avoid. You know, stay, that way you can stay in contention um i believe you know we would have iran in the third match they got drilled you know they got lost by four goals against england the other day so you know you've you've, you know you're always positioning yourself you're trying to stay within striking distance to move on so um but yeah i mean it seems like a little bit of pressure for this young group you know heading into this match tomorrow i think i need to make the point as well shep that it's not about uh, changing the perception of american football it's about changing the perception of men's american football because uh the women well yes so so good and uh, yes they are such trailblazers but it actually must be kind of hard for the men because they're in the shadow of the women's team because they're so successful all the time and that's such a it's such a rare thing uh, because women's football is it's so much still in its infancy but the USA women's team have been um, amazing for such a long time but so the England game like what's the what's the hope and the expectation Shep? 
I mean, look, I personally, I mean, I would love it if we came out of it with a draw. I mean, you know, I, and it's not that, you know, there, there's there's guys on this American team that, you know, they play, they're playing all over the world. So they've played these guys. I don't think that there's necessarily like, oh, it's fear and it's, you know, big, big, bad England or anything like that. I just think that the group is just so young. Um, you know, I, I think it's it would be different if they had won the other day. You know, I think they they'd feel a whole lot we'd feel a whole lot different about going into this match. This is just me personally. I mean, I think if we can get out with another draw, I think we would take that in a heartbeat, uh, to be quite honest. Yeah, and no, I think, if you, judging off how like, America played in that first game where they had just so much pace and as Wales could not contend with them at all. In the first half, right. they could have easily blown them away. And even you're saying there about that young team, like the fact that America's captain is 23, like Tyler Adams at Leeds United, and that lack of fear he was talking today, saying that you, like he's not afraid of playing these England players. He's, what he's afraid of is spiders, which I thought was a great line to just kind of Almost, obviously, you're saying there. But I thought some of the question maybe was a bit patronising from maybe some of the some of the English journalists who are covering it. But mm-hmm. seeing that this that this USA team have that little bit of fearlessness about them, it kind of showed maybe as the game wore on that maybe once the once the tempo died down, they kind of maybe struggled to actually just kind of control it a bit more because if they had had that maybe a figure to actually just kind of slow it down and then maintain possession, they could have actually seen the game out. But I think really like if they have that quick start again and can get an early goal, it's definitely going to be the best way of actually getting that point because I think against England, defence is definitely going to be the best form of attack. Yeah, and look, they had a couple of shots early on in the Wales match. I mean, you know, off the post and, and right by the net. And, and I know that happens in, in a lot of matches. You know, but like if you look at the France-Australia match yesterday, you know, France kind of struggled out slowly. But then when their goals came, I mean, they just kind of came in spurts, you know, and they got that hot hand. And, it, you know, maybe if we get one of those early shots into your point, you know, if we get one of those early goals to go in, maybe that just kind of changes the whole landscape of the rest of the match. So, Shep, happy Thanksgiving. We should have said it at the start. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, you know, again, just go, we'll circle back from Thanksgiving. You know, hey, look. When we're playing England, our big, you know, our, our older brothers, you know, I mean, we always want to beat them in anything that we do, you know, it, as, as you know, I'm, I'm, I hope the great American television show Parks and Rec has made its way to, to Ireland and you guys have got a chance to watch it because as one of the characters, Ron Swanson said, history began on July, July 4th, 1776. Everything beyond, beyond that is, you know. It was just a joke. So, uh, you know, we're going to try to do a little uh, revolutionary war victory again tomorrow when we take on England. So what about the American football? I'd imagine that, like, nothing will ever make that take a, a back seat in America, especially around uh, Thanksgiving. So what, what are right. you watching? So we- so we've got three games. We've already got Buffalo and Detroit are on, Marie. And uh, Josh Allen just ran into the end zone for uh, Buffalo's second touchdown. They're up 13-7. So, uh, you know, Buffalo's you struggled here the last couple of weeks. I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFL. We've talked about them a bunch. And uh, at this afternoon, you know, you've got the traditional games that we always play on Thanksgiving. Detroit always plays at home in the morning. And then the Dallas Cowboys play at home in the afternoon. They're playing the New York Giants, so they've got a big divisional matchup uh, this afternoon. And the Giants, uh, you know, are much better than folks were predicting at the beginning of the season. The Cowboys beat them earlier. And then tonight, you've got the New England Patriots at the Minnesota Vikings, and it'll be interesting to watch there because 
Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousin typically struggles in these big primetime games. Uh, and they beat Buffalo two weeks ago and then turned around last week and got absolutely blown out by the Cowboys. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond because they're one of the better teams, you know, in the NFC. So three really interesting, you know, NFL football games today that will have big impacts on the playoffs. Shep, you're going to be flat out now watching all of the uh, the football <laughs> and the football. <laughs> The football and the football and all the food that's going to be consumed as well. So uh, I just put put a big tray of macaroni and cheese in the oven. We're getting ready to go to my wife's uh, family to go eat turkey and gumbo and all the sides and all the fixings. So I'm looking forward to it. What's gumbo? Gumbo is a uh, it's kind of like a a stew type situation. You've got, uh, you know, onions, celery, bell pepper. Uh, and then you've got you know chicken and sausage, and you stir and you make a roux. And if you've never if you've ever stirred and made a roux before, it's like a it's a French based thing, and you have to stir and stir and stir. I made gumbo last weekend, and I think I stirred the roux for about fifty minutes before you start adding all the other ingredients in there. And it's just one of my favorite foods of all time. I'll be sure, Marie. I'll take a picture. I'll tag <laughs> you in do. it. I'll put it up on Twitter, and so you'll get a, you'll get a glimpse of gumbo. It's just the best tasting thing in the world. I think I would actually peak if I was in America for Thanksgiving. Like it'd be my most perfect my perfect time. Like a bit of cuddle. <laughs> oh, I don't know about cuddle now. Um, let's not go there it's too divisive uh, Jeff Shepard thank you so much enjoy all of the football and uh, we will be talking to you next week and hopefully be celebrating some great uh, USA wins thank you very much Marie y'all have a great day you too Game On on 2FM Welcome back. We are going to turn our attention to athletics now. And anyone that has been has been following the sport will know that there are serious doping issues in Kenya. The nation is reportedly at risk of a sanction following a string of cases with 55 of its athletes athletes serving suspensions it issued by athletics the athletics integrity unit. God, that was a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> Ina Reardon of the Irish Times is with us now on the line to bring us up to speed on the situation in Kenya. Um, Ian, it's clearly a, a huge problem and one that they don't seem to be able to be getting away from. What's the state of play at the moment and what's going to happen next? Yeah, good question, Marie. I mean, I think the first thing to say is I'm, I'm surprised that so many people seem surprised at this story that has come down mm-hmm. to the point now where, as you say, Ken, you're on the brink of being kicked out of track and field internationally for, for at least a year or two. Um, I think you mentioned 55 athletes there who are serving doping bans. They're the ones we know of. I mean, it's, the numbers that we're hearing on the ground are a lot higher than that. They reckon there's at least another 20 or 30 who haven't yet been named or or, or sanctioned. So it is a serious problem. Um, we've been here before, obviously, with Russia. We saw Russia getting the boot there around the time of the uh, the Rio Olympics for, for the obvious um, systematic doping that was going on. It was clearly state-sponsored the whole government were in cahoots and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's different with Kenya. I mean, nobody's suggesting for one second that the Kenyan government are involved or to be systematic. But the sheer numbers of doping, and it's literally week after week, we're seeing more and more athletes getting getting who are who are returning um, positive tests. And not just small names, we're talking about winners of Chicago Marathons, Boston mm-hmm. Marathons, Rotterdam Marathons. And there's a few athletes who are uh, related to world record runs as well, so they're not just the kind of the, the smaller fry that some people might suspect they are. They're they're serious runners, um, a lot of whom I would have heard of over the years. Um, so it's it's very concerning. So where we're at right now, I mean, it was a story in today's Daily Nation. That's the top one of the top uh, newspapers in Kenya, and I'm looking at the, it was a front page spread. 
um, this morning saying that Kenya stares at athletics ban. So it's clearly up to World Athletics to, to decide on this. There was talk that maybe a decision tomorrow, but it's actually going to go down to the World Athletics Council meeting, which is next Tuesday and Wednesday in, in Rome. Um, but from what I'm hearing on the ground, I mean, World Athletics, Sebastian Coe included with the president here, they're clearly concerned, but it's what, what they do, how they actually go about um, dealing with this. Because as I say, it's different to it's different to Russia. And I suppose with Kenya, like, where do you begin? Do you say, right, we're going to ban everyone? Does that mean people who are training there? Does that mean people who go over there to, to train from Ireland? Can they, you know, can they not compete? Um, so it's a tricky one, but but something has to be done. I mean, I we all know that, we all know the myth and the, the sort of the idea of training in Kenya. And I've been down there myself and it is a fantastic training ground at altitude. But this is this is a situation now where the, the credibility and the integrity of not just Kenyan athletics, but distance running as a whole is under serious threat, I think. Yeah, it is, um, Ian. And I guess the one word that always springs to mind when you, when you think about or when you hear about stories like this is is trust. And, you know, athletics have tried so hard to rebuild trust in its sport that when this happens it just erodes it once again. And unless something is done, that trust is never going to be rebuilt, it feels. Yeah, it is. And, and I feel not not sorry for Kenya because, as I say, they do have that great tradition. And the difference as well here is if you try to figure out why this is, I mean, you're not caring, you're not really comparing like with like. Because if, if you look at Irish athletes, most of them are pretty well funded. They're going to get mm-hmm. some sort of support from the government. In Kenya, it's nothing. You, you're out there on your own. So you're kind of competing to make make a living of sorts. And a lot of it actually goes back to COVID when there, when there was a lockdown and there was no races. So basically a lot of Kenyan athletes had no income at all. And suddenly the road racing scene opens up again. They're thinking, well, if I can win a marathon in, in Rome or in, 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 in Spain or wherever, I can earn myself 20,000 euros. That's enough to live off essentially for the, almost the rest of my life. You can buy a small farm for that for that amount of money in, 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 in Kenya. So, so sadly, it's a bit of a kind of a, quick fix for many of these athletes yeah. and and to be perfectly honest about a pure greed they're just getting greedy about this and i think that's the really sad thing about it is that it's it's, it's not everyone um but it's it's certainly widespread enough now to say something has to be done or else i really think that the credibility of kenyan athletics uh, it'd be very difficult to restore it again and what are the like the the athletes saying the ones that are representing Kenya that are, um, we would hope anyway, clean athletes because it's hard not to taint everybody with the same brush. Yeah, yeah. And, and you got to be careful what you say here because I mean, a lot of the, the sort of bigger names um, have been, have been obviously outspoken on this. And I mean, the clearly one is Ulya Kipchoge who mm-hmm. broke the world marathon record just, just last month, sorry, in September in, 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 in Berlin. And nobody's suggesting there's nothing in any way uh, about Kipchoge's performances that have linked him to to athletes directly, athletes that have that have that have tested positive of late. Um, I suppose part of the problem as well with Kenya is if if you look at some of the neighbouring countries as well, like Ethiopia and even Uganda for that matter. In fairness to Kenya, they are testing a lot more. They've actually they've actually gone in there and said, right, we're going to do a lot more testing here because they knew that the, 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 there was an issue there. So I think the testing is clearly working. Um, it'd be interesting if they did the same amount of testing in other countries, such as Ethiopia, such as Uganda, whether, whether they'd find similar situations there. But but what, what can be done for now? That's that's the question for World Athletics. That's the question for Sebastian Coe. And I do think it's going to be very difficult to do an outright ban. Personally, I, w- I would love to see it, even for a year, if they just said, look, Kenya athletes are not competing for one year until we're actually quite sure that um, the... the, the, the you've cleaned up your act essentially but as I say it's a bit more tricky there and if you, and if you look at Kenyans as well they've a slightly different 
train of thought. Some of them might just simply decide, well, I'm going to move across the border and run for Uganda or run for Tanzania or a country like that. There's a, there's a kind of a, a few ways out there. Um, but when you look at the the number of Kenyans, and by the way, it's 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 the old school EPO. They're not testing for cough medicine or they're not testing for an accidental sort of a, a contaminated supplement. It's it's EPO. They're doing blood doping. They're doing testosterone they're doing all the old-fashioned doping which you don't get away with anymore but but clearly to me that's that's a sign of just how desperate they are and obviously not being tested enough as well so if it's a case that they do bring in a ban or there is some sort of a ban then what though like how do you police something that they haven't been able to police until now yeah well as i say we've seen it in russia and i mean it's clearly this this was before there was any uh, invasion of Ukraine or anything like that. Russian athletes were banned by by the World Anti Doping Authority and mass when when they just realised that there was just there was just they reached a point of no return and that's still the case. I mean that's still the case. I don't think even before, as I said, the war the war broke out. There was no there was no uh, indication Russia would be allowed back anytime soon. Um, I don't know. It is going to be difficult, and I think that's a tricky one for world athletics. Uh, they have what's called a a sort of a watchdog type thing. I think there's different categories where you can be on a, on a sort of a doping watch. I mean, Kenya's already on that highest category. In other words, they're on their kind of last warning. Um, the government came out today, the Kenyan government, their minister of sport came out more or less pleading with, with World Athletics saying, don't ban us. We're, we're going we're gonna to make sure it's zero tolerance from now on. We're going to try and make doping a criminal offence. We're going to try and make sure that we get to the, the managers, the agents who are causing this. But to be honest, Marie, we've heard that before. We've heard that before. And that, that's something that was suggested to me that, OK, if an athlete tests positive now and they get their three or four year ban, maybe that's not the solution. Maybe you need to go back and ask them, well, who was it your coach? Was it your agent? Was it your doctor? Who was actually giving you this stuff? And then maybe start banning them as well. Because um, as I say, the sheer numbers at the moment, the sheer numbers, and they're the ones we haven't even heard of yet. There's still a few names, I'm sure, that are going to be that are going to be um, uh, revealed over the, over the, over the next couple of weeks as this story really starts to break. But um, when you see a front page story in Kenya saying we're yeah. we're staring at the abyss, essentially, they they know they know they know themselves that there's kind of it's a serious enough issue here. So there maybe maybe World Athletics can find some sort of compromise, but it's a tricky one for Sebastian Coe. And as I say, talking to some people who are involved in World Athletics, they know what they need to do, but they're just not sure exactly how they're going to go about it. So you've been there, um, you've seen the athletics uh, culture, that I guess would probably be a good way to, to put it. What's it like though? Is it is there is there secrecy among the athletes? Like is it is it an open um, environment in Kenya? Yeah, well, secrecy is an interesting one. I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly a slightly different, um, uh, if, you, if you look at the medical profession, again, this, this is a reality, the culture that's down there, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have the same level of, I suppose, um, compliance when it comes to medical professions. So you, you, you might, it might be easier to buy stuff down there on the black market. Now, you can get EPO anywhere. If you, I can go on the internet today and order EPO or something like that and probably get it delivered to my house. But there's a lot of those kind of more kind of black market stuff readily available down in Kenya whereby you can walk in and they probably give you the stuff if, if you want us um, on, on prescription without even necessarily needing it. So there's a little bit of that. Um, the testing thing, as I say, it's a lot harder to test athletes when they're at high altitude, so, you know, up in the tent, where it's what is it, eight thousand feet above sea level, it's a long way away from uh, from anywhere to be to be testing. But and that's part of the problem as well. A lot of these Kenyan athletes are are failing what's called a whereabouts. In other words, they're not even they're not even keeping up to date about where they're supposed to be at the time. And then of course there's, there's a various sort of ways of, of getting caught as well. So it's it's but it goes back to my point: the athletics integrity unit, which you mentioned at the outset. There, this is kind of an independent body 
of world athletics. And they're really going after Kenya. There's no doubt about it. They're going after Kenya, which in fairness, I think it's a, you got to give credit to, to the sport of athletics that they're doing that. Like for many years, maybe they turned a bit of a blind eye to the whole thing. And um, it's sad. And it's interesting as well, though. I mean, you, I'm listening to all, we're all listening to the World Cup coverage and there's still a great celebration around sports. There's very little conversation around doping when it comes to the football matches. It always seems to come back to athletics. And I do think that comes down to the fact that they are testing and they are really are trying to go after the cheats. Um, sometimes it doesn't always make for, for easier reading. Mm-hmm. Athletics and cycling are the two, I think, that uh, the, the spotlight is always shining on when it comes to doping. I mean, just before we finish up, what's the timeline then on when we will get a decision on whether the, the, the Kenyans are, are banned from competition? Yeah, so as I say, next Tuesday and Wednesday, that's the World Athletics Council meeting, the last one of the year. It's in Rome. So they know what's on the agenda. They know they know something will have to be done about us. Um, it may be just a kind of a last warning type scenario. As I say, trying to impose an outright ban in a country like Kenya is going to be very, very difficult because it's kind of where do you draw the line here? There's a lot of Kenyan runners who are training overseas. A lot of Kenyan runners actually train in Ireland. Oh, sorry, compete in Ireland. A lot of Irish athletes go to train in Kenya. So do you just do you, do you eliminate all athletes with any association with Kenya, including their coaches? That's going to be difficult. Um, whereas it was a little easier in Russia where they were all in and out together and you could just impose that widespread ban. But I do think it's being considered. I wouldn't be surprised if if it happens but it's just going to be again it's how they enforce us and that's really going to be the difficult part maybe it'll put them on one last warning and that might be enough to sort of turn turn things around but to be honest i watch i've watched a lot of running over the years and if, if i see a kenyan winning a big city marathon now my first thought is i'm not so sure i'm really not so sure if i can believe this yeah i can i can just picture your face already and when it happens um thank you so much for joining us and uh bring us up to speed on that we'll be keeping an eye uh next week and uh see what happens and we'll check in with you again then game on on 2fm Welcome back. It is time to talk rugby because the URC is back this weekend. Ian Keatley is with us now on the line. Ian, before we get into the URC fixtures this week, we need to talk to you about the situation with the number 10 again. Um, so Johnny Sexton got injured just before the kickoff on Saturday. Uh, Jack Crowley had to come in and Ross Byrne then came on and uh, kicked that uh, last penalty. Just... Where do you think we are now in terms of the succession plan and have we made any progress just on that? Yeah, uh, it was a tricky one for uh, Jack to uh, come into. Obviously, it was a, it was a late call-up. Came, he came in in the warm-up, I think. I think Jack even wore uh, Johnny Sexton's number 10 jersey, which is, which is funny Jacks. enough. <laughs> and then draws, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, listen, I think it's definitely coming along now. I, I know Johnny's obviously... The number one, uh, he has been for a while, and he's he was up for um, World Player of the Year again, which is great to see uh, two Irish players in contention for that award, which is which is unbelievable. Uh, but we def- we've definitely narrowed the gap. Now we have a lot of options. We still have we've got Jack Crowley who's coming to the fore now. We still have Joey. We saw Ross coming on, which I was delighted for, and gets the winning kick. We still have Jack Carthy there. Like we're starting to definitely build strength and depth. Unlike a few few years ago when it. It was just really Johnny and Ron Nagara. I think we're starting to build a bit of depth in that position, which is which is the good thing. And I think if we are going to be successful in the World Cup, because we all know that Johnny does get these injuries now every now and again, that we need someone in a good position uh, to step up. And I just hope that Jack or Joey or Ross or Jack Carthy gets a string 
of three or four games, and it could be it could be that Six Nations. We might have to we might have to put, play one of them two or three games in the Six Nations to let them get that experience up. Who makes that decision though? Is that Johnny going? Look, do you know what? Some of these lads need to have a go because it might happen. What happened against Australia might happen in the World Cup. Or does Andy Farrell need to take ownership of that? And is that possible when you have a character like Johnny Sexton in the ten? I tell you one thing: it's definitely not Johnny uh, thinking that way. Anyway, Johnny wants to play <laughs> play every match, and and that's the competitive. That's that's, fair. that's yeah. a competitive position. Yeah. So I definitely don't think it's Johnny. It, it could be something that Andy needs to look to, but. Then there's the pressures of still winning all those test mm-hmm. matches. There's there's a lot of mo- like you don't like to think about it, but there's money at stake uh, at stake for those matches. Every win is is a lot of money for the unions. It's money for the players as well. They get win bonuses. So yeah, yeah. we do need to experiment. But that's probably why that Fiji game was put in in the middle uh, of the the autumn terrace is to try and get a few guys with a bit more experience. Yeah, and I guess that uh, cliche word that everybody uses, uh, momentum in a World Cup year as well. Like, you want to be winning all your games coming into a World Cup. Yeah, exactly. I, it, it is massive. Um, a lot of people are saying that Ireland have, have peaked too early, but I don't know if they've peaked or they're just playing really consistency for the last 12, 18 months. Or like, there's peaking when you're when you're not in form and then you start to get form. But this team has been in form for for 18 months I think this is just the level that they play at now so I don't think they are peaking I just think that's the standards that they've set now Yeah that's a really good place to be they're just improved performance on a consistent basis it's what everybody strives for isn't it? <laughs> yeah exactly and like you look at like Man City like you can't say that they're peaking they've just mm-hmm. been consistently good for the last couple of years Yeah um, okay, so this weekend is quite an interesting one in the URC, uh, particularly when you look at Connacht and Munster and, and just their recent history with Connacht, uh, beating them uh, earlier in the season and totally outplaying them as well. It's a good chance now for Munster, off the back of playing so well against uh, that South Africa select team, to lay down a bit of a marker and show that they're actually going to get results and not just have improved performances. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, they were just at the end of November and it, it almost feels like a must-win match for, for Munster already, uh, which is it's crazy to think of. But uh, it is like if, if Munster can pick up uh, two wins now in a row against Connacht and then they're playing Edinburgh, they're going to shoot off the table. Uh, but then again, if they if they lose this match, like, they're, they're, going to, they're going to struggle with confidence again. But that match against South Africa definitely gave them confidence. I know they've gotten a, they got a, a lot of players back from the start of the season, they were they're they're struggling with with the injury list that they had, and um, so now they've got a lot of players back. I think they're going to get a lot of the internationals back. Usually, the internationals get a week's break. I think only Ty Byrne and maybe Peter Manny are going to get a break. Um, so they're going to be they're going to be strong now. Vice versa, Connacht they've got uh, Bundy Aki back, which is he's their talisman. He's when he plays, they're a completely different team. They're they've got that ability to be nice and direct, but he's still a ball player as well and. He's just their catalyst, so I think it's going to be a great match on the weekend, and I think maybe Tolman Park hopefully will be rocking like uh, Park Nequeve was last week, two weeks ago. Yeah, it seems there's quite a lot of positivity around Munster, even just hearing Mike Prendergast talking um, to the media earlier this week and, and speaking about the importance of, of getting that win and just to keep pushing forward, but just given the fact that they're both going to have their internationals, or at least most of their uh, internationals back if, if they can at all um, with two starting 15s and you know a lot at stake as well it should make just for a really good match yeah it is and uh, 
a lot of these internationals over the last couple of years, the internationals have been have been rested, or or one team has their internationals, the other team doesn't. So it's going to be a it's going to be a, a good contest um, on Saturday. And as I said, two I think fully stacked teams, and mm. that's what people pay to go and see the, the all the internationals. Uh, two teams hopefully playing to their, at their best, and it's going to be a typical derby match where it's going to be very niggly. There's going to be pushing and shoving after the ball I think uh, after every penalty after every whistle's gone there's going to be huge celebrations and uh, they're just each team is going to try and get that little edge over each other um, Ulster are playing Glasgow but I don't think they're going to roll out their internationals but still given the depth that um, did I say Ulster I meant to say Leinster given the depth that Leinster have they uh, like it should be it should be an okay test for them yeah and there's that's the position that Leinster are in um, they're able to they have that ability, they're top of the table, haven't lost a match yet. They're able to rest those internationals who have been playing for the last th- uh, three weeks. And that's that's what happens when you're winning matches. You're able to rotate your squad. You're able to keep everyone happy. And they seem like a happy squad who's playing very, very good rugby at the moment. But hey, they're due a slip up sometimes. So maybe it might be this weekend. <laughs> I'd be very surprised. And what about Ulster and Zebre? They, uh, Italian clubs don't generally travel too well when they come to Ireland. Uh, would you expect it to go along a similar line as it often does? Uh, you, you'd like to start saying no, but just the proof is in the pudding. They they, they don't travel well. Um, I think they're still travelling on the day of games um, oh, wow. ever since the COVID. Yeah, so I know during COVID they had to travel day of the games and fly back and um, they've kind of kind of kept up because you can kind of save a bit of money so that is uh, struggling for the players maybe they've changed that now over the last couple of weeks but uh, that, that takes a massive toll on especially when you're flying from Italy it's a it's three three and a half hour flight and then you have to get off play a game it's it's tough going and then going up against that Ravenhill uh, crowd and the, and the players who are once again they're another team playing with great confidence and playing good rugby as well and they're on the, ta- the tails of Leinster and they, they want to keep that pressure on uh, just before we finish up uh, for this evening, Ian, a little bit of um, a little bit of Ronan O'Gara news. Uh, the, well, I guess speculation. He's uh, been talking about the England job, and it's not something that he would rule out. Can you imagine a time when Ronan O'Gara is the head coach of England? <laughs> no, I, I never would have thought it. Uh, some of the stuff that uh, when you were playing the English opposition that he, he used to say about getting one over on them like and then he goes and coaches them but listen I think it's a it's credit to Ronan it's he's done a great job um, ever since he retired he's he's been very tactically astute of where he's gone to he went to Racing then he obviously went to Crusaders um, and now he's he's got the head coach job in La Rochelle and he, he's doing a really good job um, and I think it, it probably is the next step for him is to is to take an international job now I don't know if he'll take the English job, but it'll be interesting to see. And it's unlike, it's not very unlike Ronan to, to stir the pot in the media anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Ian Keatley, thank you so much for all of that. We will talk to you again very, very soon. David, I'm watching Brazil and Serbia on the television behind you there and talk about a stacked Brazilian team. Oh my God. I know. Also, I'm just laughing there because the way Ian was speaking, it makes you think that Ronald O'Gara listens to the Wolf Tones. <laughs> he probably does. <laughs> I know. Like that Brazil team, when it landed in, like you're thinking... Like it's obviously it's the last game, isn't it, of the the first batch? And you've seen a couple of shocks. Mm-hmm. Argentina have been shocked. Germany have been shocked. You're already thinking, you know, eat yourselves in, keep it a bit tight. Titi has decided to do the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, he has. Like, He's given is, the people what they want. I know. I'm honestly like, obviously, I will be going to speed limit, but I'm gonna be <laughs> bombing it down the M50 to get home to watch as much of this match later on because he's gone. 
it looks as if it's going to be four one four one. So on the on the team sheet it's given out it's basically Casemiro and Lucas Paqueta as a kind of mm-hmm. double pivot as a two. But anyone who's watched Paqueta play for West Ham, he can't drop deep. But he's an attacking player. He's just going to be wanting to bomb forward, but also trying to create. Then in front of him you have Rafinha, you have Neymar, Vinicius Junior, and then in front of him them, leading the line, the focal point <laughs> is Richarlison. So you've got. We're talking about drama and what's happened already. You've got, like, it's just actually stacked there to be exciting, but also a bit of mayhem because Richarlison on the pitch, Mitrovic, by the way, for Serbia, he's fit. He'd been an injury deal coming into this game. And, like, it's also a word of mind. I was joking before. It's kind of like with, with Portugal playing earlier and now Serbia, the two teams. From, it's listen for anyone who was watching the Ireland games. And this is what you could have won. That's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you see, and now obviously that uh, that Serbia team. It's they don't look strong as well. You know, like Milinkovic Savic is in there as well. Uh, Goodell. That right. But it's He's quite contrasting what you're expecting from both teams in terms of the style of play, though, isn't it? Yeah, but then when you see Serbia, when you saw Serbia playing now against Ireland, obviously, listen, Ireland, Brazil, like it's contrasting. But like Serbia have those players to be able to soak up a bit of pressure, mm. and then when you have Tadic still doing the business for them, dropping in, but they also have getting down the flanks. You could see them possibly considering Brazil is so attacking. Like there's going to be so much emphasis there on Casemiro to cover a lot of ground in front of that back four. Like that's going to be a struggle. Yeah. Like Casemiro has been good for for Manchester United so far this season, but unless he is getting a bit of a dig out from Paqueta and he's going to be asked to be a bit more disciplined, but then you're kind of thinking he wouldn't be in the team. Fred would be in the team if that's what the manager wanted. If TD wanted someone to actually be properly sitting in there alongside him, you imagine Fred. He's obviously going to have a bit more license, and then obviously Neymar. Like the way this is set up, like it's it's difficult to say it, but like Neymar's only two goals off Pele's record for Brazil. The, 75 he's on Pelle has 77 so like unless he's under orders to try and get Neymar that record during this World <laughs> Cup judging by that team possibly be. I know but yeah, it's, just, look, it's, it's an exciting team and obviously maybe the fact as well like it's the as I was saying like the last batch the last game of the the first batch and it could be the best for last yeah it really could be uh, just before we finish up for the evening uh, some women's football news uh, earlier on today Oni O'Gorman has officially signed for Shamrock Rovers which is really exciting because it's yeah. the first well okay they have been in the, the Women's National League before but it's they're, they're in it now again uh, for 2023 um, and it looks like they're going to make a real go of it well, I say, like, it seems to be a bit of a statement yeah. of intent in terms of like, the calibre of player that, that Anya O'Gorman is in that, in that league early international she's going to be yeah. preparing for the World Cup so like this isn't a, a case of say Rovers and obviously managed with Collie O'Neill who would have pedigree within the Men's League of Ireland obviously with, with UCD as well but like this is a player who is going to be have, bringing demands to that group of players, which is pretty much exactly time was idea for what Rovers would be needing in terms of Anya Gorman coming in. She's going to have her standards at a certain at a certain level just to make sure, just to make sure that for the entirety of the season that she is at it because she's got a World Cup to be going to in the summer. So in terms of Rovers getting their act together with the Women's National League and, and getting involved, it just seems like the ideal statement of intent for them. Yeah, it really does. And uh, we're going to look back at that maybe in the next few days, early next week, just to get a handle on, on their plans because it does feel like they have big plans. And even when... Well, she's um, only across there doing a bit of punditry, isn't she? Yeah, she is. You'll have to get her over. Yeah. Um, even when you're looking at season tickets for next year, as I am for my children, uh, all the women's games 
teams are going to be on in Tallis Stadium as well, which mm. is which is brilliant, and uh, it's great to see them setting that standard. Uh, that's all we have time for. Um, anyone who is in their car, I hope that you get home in time <laughs> to watch this uh, Brazil team in action against Serbia because it does seem like it's going to be a very entertaining game. So a big thanks uh, for everyone who texted it in uh, to tell us their Camogie standout player of the year. Now it's time to pick one person randomly and give them that 400 euro all thanks to PwC. Well, congratulations to Louise O'Connor in Cork who says my player of the year is Rachel Hardy Harty, the Cork Intermediate Camogie player who is very much a standout player and can hold a team up and she really kept Cork in the game. They were very unlucky not to have won. Um, so if you missed out today, don't worry because we'll be back doing it all again tomorrow and in the meantime, head across to rte.e forward slash GA and get voting for who you think should make the Camogie team of the year and remember just for voting you could win yourself 3,000 euro David Snay thank you so much for coming in that is all we have time for Better to Silva is up next RTE 2FM